3D printing dinosaur skulls. Where do we begin? Uh, it's really interesting that there's a seems to be a large market for relatively cheap 3D printed fossil skulls, right? Like a saber tooth tiger skull right here. But none of them, or at least virtually none of the ones that I've been able to find are actually to scale. Uh, saber tooth tigers did not evolve for the to fit inside of the requirements of contemporary three-dimensional printers. Uh, and I spent actually a long time kicking it around online with people who were making things that were that looked like maybe they would be like this before I had to just go with the uh, the oldie but the goodie. There's a company called Skullduggery, skullduggery.com. Yes. I recommend it to everybody. Fell in love with this. Spent hours just like looking over. This sounds embarrassing. Like before I went to bed at night as an adolescent boy, just like looking over the Skullduggery catalog, just going like, oh, it'd be so cool. Oh, this would be so cool to have. <laughs> Felt like a Velociraptor club. Like now that like I'm an adult and therefore rich beyond my wildest dreams, like compared to my nine-year-old self's ideas, uh, I can I can afford to invest in something like this. It's bad. I love that it's an investment as well. This is all just like it's an asset in your in your business and something. And definitely you're gonna get more customers because you got a save to tiger just like propped on your shoulder. It's always a question of like what could I have in the back that would actually turn people off. Because one of the well, things that we try to do is they cultivate like a, it's sciency, right? Like we're like very sciency, we're very deep sciency, but we're not just for kids who understand themselves to be into science. Like we're into kids who are into almost any kind of thing because we use the rest of the world to make science interesting, not the not the other way around. Well, I'm imagining you should put it on a little motor and have it like slowly turn or do something and like not even bring it up. Just let it do something in the background. And then if, like you could lean into it eventually and discover it. And then you're talking like Pee Wee's Playhouse, Jombie, the thing. You could have a whole interactive uh, series of dinosaurs back there. I... You know what you could do? You could like put a little um, uh, actuator on the jaw and just have the jaw open and close. Uh, and this would be fun if you did it programmatically based on like a word or something, a, a thing that happens in the class. And when the students figure out what it is, they'll start triggering it for you. You said the magic word. Oh, man. <laughs> yes. I spent I spent a long time as a kid, like drawing. Remember how in Pee Wee's Playhouse they had like the little dinosaurs, the claymation dinosaurs yeah. that like, lived in the wall. I thought that like I could dig in wall, like, dig in my bedroom wall and like make a little dinosaur cave there and then maybe dinosaurs would come and live in it. I don't understand how I, how this knowledge fit with my knowledge that dinosaurs were extinct. I, I don't, yeah. I, I wasn't, I avoided science classes as a kid, right? Like this is like, yeah. science is like, science did not used to be my metier. Um, uh, so yeah, entirely irrational beliefs about this. Thank well, you for I was, Playhouse. Nobody does that anymore. I love Pee-wee's Playhouse and Pee-wee's big adventure. Like uh, every morning I'm like, why do I not have a Rube Goldberg machine preparing uh, pancakes of which I will, no, he didn't. I don't think he even eats it. He just looks at it, plays with the face, and moves on. I was like, that's how I want to start a day. Watching Paul Rubens eat is nobody idea, nobody's idea of a good time. Yeah. I was going to say, too, uh, on the uh, like childhood-like things with dinosaur bones, I found a, I was convinced I found a velociraptor bone in our backyard, which very clearly, like, I brought it back, showed it to my mom, and she was so good to sort of allow me to think that it wasn't just a raccoon that had removed it from our trash and put it somewhere in the back. And I was like building up a diorama and basically digging up our whole backyard, looking for the rest of this velociraptor bone. And I think eventually my parents were good enough to throw it away, but they allowed me to believe that I could be my own uh, archaeologist back there. Was it like a chicken bone? Oh yeah. It was like chicken bone from like Thanksgiving two like uh, two weeks ago, but I was convinced. 
Well, I'm going to tell you the truth. Birds are a type of dinosaur. Okay, I'm following. And and there is still some debate as to modern day birds where they branched off of the dinosaur family tree. Uh, it is not I believe it is not impossible that all birds alive today, including ducks and stupid things like that, are literal raptors. Um, and frankly, if they're not, like the kinds of theropods that they descend from would be in most people's eyes indistinguishable from like, oh, that's a raptor type dinosaur, stands on two legs, sharp teeth. Maybe it does have a big claw on its foot, maybe it doesn't, and they're smaller, but whatever, right? Um, so like, yeah, like you, that was a theropod bone i found it you're right i found a dinosaur that actually completely changes that memory for me welcome yeah thank you also thanksgiving we eat dinosaurs sorry (laughs) (laughs) brandon that um that reminds me a little bit about your uh your planet um your blog post about how many planets we have which you know i don't want to spoil anything about that so go read it go in there maybe dear listener with a, a preconception about how many planets there are and, and I emphasize the word are there and uh, and read the article. You'll enjoy that. But what I wanted to um, ask you, Brandon, in the vein of how many planets are there, w- would you say that birds are a reptile or are reptiles and birds two things? Like if you open up a, ch- a, a, a science book for kids, there's a chapter on birds and there's a chapter on reptiles. Are birds reptiles? Are birds and reptiles different? Yeah. Okay. So this gets to the heart of a lot of what I try to do. There's a for uh, for your dear listeners. Is that is that like your your general term that that we that we no no good lord no uh yeah we don't even have it we don't have many listeners so we refer to them by their first names usually. (laughs) Hi, Ivan. Um, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, how do I say this concisely? Um, there's a really good. I don't know to, how to, so I'll just refer to a really good Slate Star Codex post uh, that was my first hit into Slate Star Codex, the old blog. Now it's Astral Codex 10, uh, famous in Silicon Valley um, uh, by the wonderful Scott Alexander, called Categories Were Made for Man, Not Man for the Categories, which points out that, look, we, we can define words however we want, and we need to understand that if we're getting into a fight about, like, well, like, the definition of this word is whatever. Like that's a stupid argument because <laughs> we could have defined it a different way, and we should define words in the ways that are useful for what we want to do. Um, with dinosaurs and birds and reptiles, right? So we'd say that a bird is a type of dinosaur, a dinosaur is a type of reptile. But if you want to play that one out, you can then say a reptile is a type of amphibian, and that's actually maybe the most tendentious of all of these things but like something like an amphibian and whatever that thing is let's we call it an amphibian was a type of, is a type of fish that the thing that we, we call vertebrates right like i remember in school i was taught this idea of like well like the vertebrates are defined by they have a vertebra and they have something 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 yeah take all of that and and just say like screw it <laughs> what, what all of these things are, are types of fish you are a type of fish i'm a type of fish and once you understand that you you understand how all vertebrate life works in this beautifully harmonious way that is absolutely not what you can get to as long as you're trying to hold this careful definition in your head of what a vertebrate is. Um, we understand that like, okay, like all fish, and this is true of 
all fish. Um, including us. Yeah, yeah, including <laughs> us, including, yeah, yeah, and, and, and everything on Earth that's, everything on the land that's not a bug, uh, you know, the slimy bug like a, like a, a snail or something like that, or, a, you know, the opposite of a slimy, the, uh, the segmented bugs, like a, a bug, like a, a insect or a, a centipede or a spider. Um, hmm. uh, we're all types of fish. And we all have these things that we take for granted, like the fact that we have two eyes. The two eyes are on our heads, right? This mm. is not true of all animals. This is not true for most animals. Um, we have a head. We have a neck. We have a body. This is true of all of the fishes that we, that exist. Um, we have, um, you know, four legs. And this part gets weirder, right? Because you can evolve them away like whales or whatever. But, you know, every once in a while you'll find a whale that still has like some little dangly sort of appendages coming off of where their hips are because they have those hip bones. They sometimes have the leg bones just covered in muscle and fat. Um, and you see out the nose in the middle, the, oh, the jaw that opens like this, like insects, right? Like they go, but like, oh fish, yeah, fish, like we go like this, we're this wonderful big family tree. And, um, and we, we are stuck, we are stuck with these older definitions for what a bird is, for what a reptile is, for what a whatever that comes back from when we had no idea what anything in the world actually was. Right, like we get this from Carolus Linnaeus, who in the 1500s, like, oh, I'm going to go around and use some kind of common sense, but like married to science, married to systematic reasoning, to like think through like what all these types of animals are. And he was the person who gave us a lot of our modern categories of these things. I think, I think he was the person who invented mammals, if I'm correct about that. Um, but now that we know these, now that we know the rest of the story, we understand how everything fits together. Like it's okay for us to go back and start understanding that we are a type of fish, that a bird is a type of fish, that a bird is a type of reptile, that we are a type of reptile. And once you can kind of like rejigger those categories, that is a cheap, amazing way into understanding all sorts of nonsense that otherwise are, is technical and it's hard to understand. I'm, I'm in a fight with a friend of mine right now who, uh, Emmanuel, I hope that you watch this. Um, uh, this is a promo for our next fight. Um, uh, we are in a fight about whether I should have told kids that they are lava monsters, that they are literal lava monsters, mm. because if you understand that ice is a type of mineral and a mineral is a type of rock, um, then that means that ice is a type of rock, right? And you see like glaciers or whatever, like these layers of the earth. Um, uh, and then, okay, like, what do you call a melted rock? You call it lava. Well, what do you call melted ice? You call it water. Water is one type of lava. You're 60% water. You yourself are a lava monster. To which he responds, I'm talking too much. He didn't say that. I'm saying that. So I'm going meta for a second. <laughs> no, keep going. You got to at least finish the. I, the story. I suppose that was a terrible place to stop it. You're going to present uh, the other side of the fight and then we'll move on to the next. Well, to the next fight. He, I, I think he's going to say something like, yeah, but defining the word lava to include like the thing that I am drinking right now to make my tea is stupid because if somebody, you know, says I'd like a cup of lava and you give them a mm. cup of actual lava, their head will burst into flames. It will be very, things will go badly. And it's useful to define it in a way that is not as expansive as possible, that is not as awesome as possible, but that it is as lethal-less as, as as possible. And I feel like that would be a really good argument. for. Yeah, that's just taking the safe way out. I I, <laughs> I love this idea, though, of 
reach like telling kids it's okay to make your own categories for things. So I have a two and a half year old. She loves naming things. So she wants to know the name of everything. And now she's trying to get into like, okay, what is the name of, what does this thing eat? So that's the next thing she's getting into. But it also jives with what I remember where, where I, all I wanted was to discover something. I just wanted to be like, you know, discover a new bug, discover a new bird. And I think that's connected to this naming and categorization. And uh, it feels like you're giving me an unlock for maybe I should work with my kid and have them just create their own categorization. Just like you're sort of doing you're like yes it's probably valuable that you know the difference between a fish and mammals and things like that but let's make our own thing let's make our own category and we're like you're allowed to do that that's sort of like sometimes i forgot going through school that like hey i'm allowed to do exactly what these people did in 1500. i mean it might not be as uh yeah yeah go ahead you guys will know the steve jobs quote that he gave that the stanford graduation the truth is that everything around you is made up by people who are no smarter than you and you can i forget how he ends it you can and you can do that <laughs> um right like uh uh, uh carolus linnaeus uh was a, a brilliant person i rather i'm i'm a fan of his um but just because he had his way of breaking things up does not mean it's the best way although then like once you understand that these categories these definitions these terms are things that you yourself that anybody can do you can say okay why did linnaeus do it his way like what is the actual genius that his way mm -hmm. reflects this because because it is right like mammal is actually a ridiculously important class um we have conquered the world right we've flipping reconquered the skies with bats we are weirdly good at everything <laughs> as mammals like what is the mammal secret sauce for this so it's not just about i would say like we can like do whatever we want that's that's not what you said like like we can do it too but it's this way of saying we can do it too yeah. The things that we are learned about are not like object are not always objective. Obviously, sometimes they are objective, but like the terms that we use for them, the way that we conceive of them are things that have human fingerprints all over them. They affect the way that we think about them. And we can go back in time in our imaginations and say, what the heck was going on here? What do we think about this? It's this wonderful Egan takes Egan takes um Egan takes history seriously in a whole bunch of ways that nobody else does. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and it gives us this totally different view on the world. And, and then his way of teaching is just to kind of get into to that. So we'll, we'll segue into, into Egan. I'm very excited to talk, you, talk to you about Egan. Um, and maybe part of that can just be a question on this, on this topic. When you, are, when you are teaching uh, kids, do you feel like you are, there you go, hello. Oz, where's uh, yours? Come I on. I just put the cover back on it this morning, actually. It's been off for the last few months. I'm really happy that I chose today to do that. They, Sorry, they, we don't, we're not teaching kids. Uh, are, are you actively taking that approach of saying, I am going to pick a framing for this topic that is not true, quote unquote, in some ways, that is that would not be appropriate right now? Like, I, you are a three and don't care about phylogenetics. And so we don't need to know that like reptiles are not monophyletic or whatever. We're going to talk about birds and reptiles as two separate things. Uh, and that's that's good for now because that simplifies the storytelling aspect of what we're, we're doing here, the like simple contrast and so on. And the subtlety will come later. Do you like move? To me, it feels like there's a kind of not necessarily a ladder of abstraction, but like a, a zone of understanding uh that's are you actively moving through that or maybe 
should we should we give more background on on the Egan's? I, I think we should. Or do you want yeah. to just add to that question? I, I would also love a background. Uh, you know, I'm new to this. You know, when leading into this convo, I have attempted to read this. I'm like, I don't know, a 25 percent of the way in, and our in the first chapter, my mind was like, oh, socialization might not be the best. I know it just. We, I want to talk about that, but I'm someone. Brandon's who, got a Brandon's got a blog post. Uh, the gist of it being that this is not the best place to start understanding Egan, but maybe I should just leave that to you, Brandon, yeah. since you're right here. Uh, if you, I guess I have, I have most of his books behind me right now. Um, if if you guys have specific, like, I recommend different of his books based on different needs of people. If one is a teacher, there's a particular book that I recommend. If one is a is interested in the history of educational ideas. There's another particular book that I recommend. And actually this one is, I would say like the best for the best opening one for almost no one. I did my review of it uh, for the Astro Codex um, book review contest because it's like his big giant theoretical one. So I thought if I do any of them, I should do this one. And I'm happy that I did that, but like there are better places to start in Egan for that. Here, I'll just, uh, if one is teacher, um, uh, this is definitely the best of his an imaginative approach to teaching. Um, it's written just better. I mean, he's not writing for theorists right now. He's not writing for for polymaths. He's writing for in-service teachers. And my personal favorite of, of his is getting it wrong from the beginning, our progressivist inheritance. This is not the political progressive, progressivism. Um, uh, from Herbert Spencer, John Dewey, and Jean Piaget, um, where he, I feel like because he's not trying to express the so hard to express um, understanding that he has what education actually is, uh, that um, he's like doing this much smaller thing so he can like unpack it in a very sensible way. He's not trying to cram too much in um, and it's and it's beautiful and it's compelling. And I, I think I'd give it a reread at some point. With the book, with, we have a book club that we do um, with my Substack that we're about to start it next week. Um, we should do this one at some point in the future with them. Uh, that so, wasn't a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, no, I like I like the plugs. We uh, I'm looking forward to the book club. Um, but uh, I was going to say, my kind of goal with having you on, other than my own selfish interest in talking to you about Egan, was uh, to see what our audience, who are mostly self-taught in some way, self-educating in some way, usually con continuously. Uh, so through their careers, uh, what they could take from Egan's ideas. Um, so they are teachers in a way, primarily of themselves and some of their peers, um, but not classroom style teachers. They're not in the system. They can pick and choose their own way of approaching uh, a learning goal. And um, their learning goals are, I mean, for some of them, it's just the edification of uh, understanding things better. And for some, it's, you know, understanding their specific fields better, software engineering or adjacent fields. Um, and in all those, we're, we're constantly looking for better approaches. And I feel like as software engineers, we we sometimes get stuck on the very specific tactical approaches, like this space repetition system or whatever. Uh, and there's generally a lack of a, a more theoretical or strategic way of thinking about one's own education, where it's like, well, you know, over this this extended period of time, how should I approach increasing my understanding? What kind of understanding do I even want? Uh, I feel like Egan may have some some role to play there in providing a kind of theoretical framework. 
Is that overall? We should probably should have we probably should have raised this with you before we started recording. But we is that objective for this podcast? No, no. In the, in the initial email that you sent out, um, you had said you had said this, which was why I've been so excited. Which is why I said yes, even though right, I was like, oh, it's time. I have no time to do anything. I'm taking on all these projects because I had never thought about how does Egan's philosophy approach meta theory um, apply to autodidacts, those of us who, who just teach ourselves everything. I don't think he ever wrote about, he was an autodidact. I don't think he ever wrote about this. Um, his system is really geared, explicitly geared toward people who are teachers and have a bunch of time to like get really, to really understand something and then express it to people who are not that interested in it and make them like bring them emotionally into it. So I, 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 I want to I want to try to to explore this with the both of you right now, um, and I feel like the incentives for the both of you ordinarily would be to, you know, whatever we come up with to say, oh, this is very good, nice job, Brandon, like like that's a very good thing. But I'm more interested in being crucified on the my failure, my probable failure to be able mm. to get a compelling answer to this once we come up with some specifics of uh, what is what do we imagine somebody wanting to teach themselves because I, I have some ideas but i i don't think they're going to be very good but in part that's because i i think i've been stuck in my head into imagining how does one teach oneself coding with this and coding is one of those things that like, i've just never been able to learn all my attempts to learn it have, have, have uh, sputtered and died um so um my i recommend that we come up with a a um a knowledge ba knowledge based thing a topic that somebody wants to teach them themselves so they can understand it and then a skill-based thing that some person might want to teach themselves so they can master it okay do you do you want to give a kind of overview of the egan uh worldview <laughs> uh or or should we just dive in what, what do you think would be useful for someone who's approaching this for the first time let me do a really brief, ridiculously high-level overview, and then I think the interesting things will come out in the specifics of how we explore mm -hmm. this. Um, my realization recently is that Egan is the only educational theorist I know of who takes seriously um, what humans are. Um, so, right, like most educational theorists just sort of say, okay, like we are these brains and we have these certain cognitive abilities and we should be able to figure things out in a certain kind of way. That's too simple, but it's closer to being true than it ought to be. Um, and Egan says, okay, like we evolved into being humans through this 3 billion-ish year process, which gave us these emotional reactions that we engage with things emotionally on a deeper level than we do cognitively and we've never jettisoned our emotions all of our cognition is shot through with emotions so whatever we do when we teach something or we learn something we 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 probably don't want to just make it a head thing we want it to be an entire sort of head thing is obviously wrong it is all in the head but um uh cognition thing uh logical thing knowledge dry knowledge thing it should matter to us. It should have meaning and that comes from emotions. From our human past, um, we in the last 200,000-ish, 500,000-ish years, depending on who you follow, 
Um, we have also evolved the specific set of language-based tools to make sense of the world in ways that no other animal seems to be able to, right? Like we spin stories, we can use metaphors, we use, I don't know, like rhyme and rhythm and things like that. And we can, because of this, we can paint these, paint this understanding of the world that goes far beyond what we ourselves have imagined. And humans are better at telling stories. <laughs> we care more about stories, even when they're garbage stories, than we do often about like actual correct knowledge when that knowledge is done really dryly. Um, uh, so like any kind of education should have lots of emotions and it should be, you know, at least use the elements of really good storytelling, the same sorts of elements that a documentary film, filmmaker will make, will use, right? When, when he or she makes a, a, docu a documentary. And then, and only then, did we evolve these ways of thinking about the world that we could call abstract, that we could call scientific, that we could call philosophic, that we could call modern, um, rationalist. Um, and these things, they're, they're based in emotion. They're based even in some of the aspects of storytelling. And so like that's like the tip of the iceberg. When we teach, we should do all of these things because of our specific weirdo evolutionary path through history to get to the present moment. Schools assume that like, oh, everybody, every, kids are smart, so they can definitely like, do this sort of modern math, modern science, modern whatever. But but maybe the fact that everybody sucks at those so profoundly, not everybody, but really almost everybody, including people who have like fancy science degrees, <laughs> oftentimes do not understand, they, they show that they're not able to think scientifically. Maybe it's because this one weird way of thinking is a absolutely weird way of of, uh, of of thinking, of feeling, of encountering the world. And that the way to get to that is by kind of thinking about the things that we passed by, the things that we built that understanding on in the first place. That's Egan in a nutshell, standing on one foot. I think I'm actually one foot tucked underneath me right now, and the other one is lightly touching the floor. So it literally was, I think, Egan on one foot. Um, uh, still too long and whatever, but okay. That, no, no, I, I, so that makes me think, um, yeah, trying, I'm thinking through something specific and one, one thing that we can maybe, maybe Oz, you have a different idea, but as a working software engineer, you often sort of enter as a typically like front end engineer or full stack. So you're like making websites and things like that. And that's how you can kind of break into the field typically. And then you do that for a little while and you, and what typically happens is there has to be something more to this. The work starts to get a little bit repetitive typically. And then you try to find some subdomain or some area where you can go deep, be on the frontier of knowledge. Uh, maybe that's in databases. Maybe that's in networking. Maybe that's in AI. And if we wanted to get specific, a lot of people are thinking like, oh, could I write my own neural network? Could I work for an AI company? And in many ways, they've abstracted it away that any anyone can sort of easily use these simple libraries and use a neural network. But to actually write one, then I have to know linear algebra and math. And when I've encountered it, uh, I've sort of looked at that. I didn't learn linear algebra in school. Uh, so then I'm like, oh, it's based on, I better uh, go, go further back and go all the way to algebra and go all the way to basic arithmetic. And then that's my mental uh, map. It's like, I have to keep going all the way back to like scratching things on a chalkboard. And then only then will I be comfortable to go to that level. So that's one maybe specific context. And your the other thing you're, um, your overview, your one-legged overview made me think, which I think you touch on in your blog post, is that what you're describing, the sort of story-based, 
emotional base. That's like the complete opposite of a linear algebra textbook. And e-commerce, they figured that out. They they're using lust, envy, greed. They're using stories for movies. Like e-com's got it figured out. Instagram feels fairly eganized to me. But when I open that linear algebra textbook, unless it's written by someone with a sense of humor, uh, there's no stories. There's like maybe reading comprehension puzzles, which are just like masking uh, the equations I'm meant to practice. But I look at that and it that doesn't touch on anything that you're describing for Egan. And that's probably why I never made it through the textbook, at least now that maybe this is giving me an excuse for never having made it through that textbook. Yeah, textbooks suck. Yeah. Textbooks ignore all the tools <laughs> that people have figured out over the eons to make things meaningful, content rich, uh, interesting. And um, they just ignore all of those and say, yeah. let's let's give you the facts. They try to, what's ironic is they try to simplify in order to make it easier. But oftentimes what they then cut away are the things that make it easier. It's weirdly easier to learn. Um, uh, an example of this is the names of the planets. It's easier. Oz, you know the names of the planets thing, because I think I mentioned it in that blog post. Maybe, maybe, maybe it was in a footnote or something like that. Right. But do you guys know the whole like the the the, the rationale behind the names of the planets in order? I, there was like a mental game, my mother something. Uh so there's sort of that, like pen, there's like, like a PEMDAS thing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember it, but I yeah. I've, I've I've memorized that one before. Yeah. Um someone pointed out to me a few years ago that Mars. His father is Jupiter. Mars is Aries, right? Just the Latin version of the Roman yeah. version of, of the god of war, which is why it's red. It's supposed to be covered in blood. The father's covered in blood. Um, and then who's the father of Aries? The father of Aries is Zeus. Zeus is Jupiter, right? The, the Roman version, again, because we named the planets with the Roman version. Zeus Pater, father of Zeus. Zeus Pater, Zeus Pater, Zeus Pater, Jupiter, 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 right? Mm. Jupiter for you. Who was Jupiter's father? Who's Zeus's father? It was um, Cronus. Cronus, the god of yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. So there there was no Roman Kronos. So they had a borrowed obscure deity, um, uh, Saturn, had a scythe kind of like it or something like that. Got a minor harvest god from Turkey, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, uh, so but anyway, like like Z Jupiter's father is supposed to be Kronos. Who is Kronos's father? Gaia. Mother. Mother. Who did Gaia mate? Who did Gaia, who did Gaia have sex with to uh, to to make? It's all in. I have that Delaire's book of Greek myths, and I, I there's a big beautiful picture, but I can't remember. Gaia's face is uh, all um, all done by. Oh no, Gaia's the Earth, and then the father's face, uh, Uranus, is a uh, Greek Uranus. Uh, uh, yeah. Uranus, whatever you want to you want to say, right? It's, I remember his face then in, in stars in that book. I like that book. Yeah. Um. Uh. But uh. So it's it's Uranus. Okay. So Uranus is after. Saturn. And then the next planet, when they found it, William Herschel found it in 1805 or something like that. What did he name it? Because Uranus didn't have a father. Uranus is like one of the original two gods, him and Gaia. Gaia, Gaia. Um, so he named it George. Named it George after the King of England at the time, because <laughs> he wanted the king to give him money. So the final planet was supposed to be called George. Yes. <laughs> uh, but and I, my understanding is that it was the French who were like, nope, nope. No, no, not gonna no, work. No, no, gonna work. Um, sorry, that was all a stupid illustration attempt to illustrate the idea that it is weirdly easier to learn both the names of the planets in order, yeah, and this story of uh, of Greek creation epics than it is to learn either of them by themselves. 
like it's just like story forms and like with this like this ridiculousness of the planet George and then he went with Zeus's brother Neptune right like um uh, uh the ridiculousness of that story actually makes it easier it makes it more memorable even though it's more information we 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 try to boil things down and we make it harder because of this yeah mathematics seems like the the absolute the end stage of that phenomenon where you pick up a book and it's like here are the axioms and here you know here is the minimal proof from the axioms to get to here and like it's, there's nothing extraneous there's definitely no storytelling uh but even just like verbal filler of like why do we have these axioms how do we get you know let's have let's have a conversation about the different ways that you might have trust in this this uh, this conclusion other than the formal proof or whatever uh it seems like it just makes it incredibly hard unless you have taught yourself or been trained to pick up a book like that and approach it in a particular way it's useless to you because it's so it's so far against and it feels like undergraduate mathematical education is primarily about uh, bringing people into the fold of like what you know they call rigor or something but it's really about like communicating in a, a format um, that is devoid of other ways of human understanding it's like our form of understanding is very specific here we don't do the other kinds of understanding it's I'm like one of my current obsessions is um the history of where Greek where modern mathematics comes from fantastic um, it, in the in the answer is Turkey, uh, the the island. I think it's an island uh, of Ionia, off the coast of Turkey, part of the Greek one of the Greek cities. Or sorry, Ionia is the name for that whole area. Um, Miletus, Miletus. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, uh, that uh, and you can like look to see historically like what the heck is going on when this very small group of people had this phase change. And I, I really thought that this was blown out of proportion until I started doing the details like this. Had this phase change of how to understand the world. Um, and uh, and so I've been interested in like where where this way of doing math, how that comes into it. Because they also were reinventing science and they were also inventing historiography and all this sort of fun stuff, political theory, philosophy in general. Um, and the place that it looks like they got their math from was from astrologers who had been in Babylon, but who'd been kicked out of Babylon because Cyrus the Great, uh, who's a Zoroastrian and had no time for this astrology nonsense, um, he fired them. And so they have no other way of making a living. They're wandering around the area. They are you know, trying to apply their trade to, um, let's say, they invent personal horoscopes um, uh, because now they don't need to predict the affairs of state. They can just predict the affairs of an individual. So they've got horoscopes to do this. Um, but they've been trained in all of this careful mathematics in order to keep track of where the stars are in the sky and where when certain astronomical phenomena are going to recur because then they can predict the future because as everybody knows, right, there's a comet coming through the heavens or something like that portends great doom or great fortune or whatever um and and so the greeks the greeks come into contact with this as these men on the road telling math riddles and they're mm. challenging one another with these riddles and 
you can figure out like almost any of these riddles, right? This is like sort of like lower, maybe like fourth grade sort of geometry sort of stuff. This is like not hard stuff by our by our ways. But what they put a value on is how ingenious, I mean, can you figure out the answer, but also like, how do you get to the answer? How clever is your answer? And you could, you know, like any kind of math problem, you can brute force, Bruce, brute, I can't say those are brute force it's, you can like have an insight where you go, oh my gosh, I can't, yes, this, this other thing, you can take something that you learned from another field of math, you can apply it in this really weird way to this. Um, you can just like step back and like come up with a new definition that allows you to crack the entire thing open. But like it was from this riddling these games that our way of doing modern math, which is like really abstract and which is really simple, it prizes simplicity above all else um, uh, where it comes from. But we we miss the fact, we forget the fact that it comes from this context of like what are clever ways to solve this simple riddle. <laughs> and we just say, okay, here's a way, do the stupid way, memorize the stupid way, do it this way. We've taken the art out of it because we've taken it out of its context. And just taking the, I mean, I don't want to say that everything that we do in math education is bad. It's not, but, um, but blah, blah. Oh, but this is like a, Gross. this is a reframing of co typical coding interviews. So maybe you've seen it, you're maybe heard about like when you're trying to be an engineer at Facebook or something like this, yeah. you're given a, like a, basically a puzzle and they're like, do this on the board, code on the board. And more often than not, like the brute force isn't going to get you through that interview. But you have to get there. So you sort of first do the brute force iterative thing. You go through and you're trying to, you know, check if a particular string is a palindrome or something. And you might kind of go through it iteratively, maybe twice or something. Uh, and then they're like, great, but I'm looking for something that can do this, uh, you know, in one pass or something like that. And then you're like, crap. So as an engineer, you're super stressed out about finding this. But if it was more like bar room, having fun, like riddles with travelers, Maybe that's my sort of reframe uh, motif to go into the next round of interviews and just pretend I'm coming from uh, ancient Babylon and uh, I'm trying to impress some Greeks. This is one of the things that, I mean, I don't know if this is useful advice um, for coders, but maybe for coders who have kids and want to raise their kids in a riddling sort of context. There are mm -hmm. good books that are just collections of clever riddles that you mm. can work out. And some of them are math, some of the books from the collections are mathematical and some of them are not. Um, there's a man named Robert Smoylan, Smoylan, um, who wrote a number of different collections of riddles. My favorite is uh, the Riddles of Scheherazade, I think is the title of it, something like that. Um, and when I, my wife and I used to run an elementary school classroom, we would every week just like take a really nasty one from that and we'd put it up on the wall and it would just be there. That's it, right? Anybody could like try to, butts with it or not. And it's just like a trying to create a culture of people who valued, who, who enjoyed, who enjoyed solving pointless, pro pointless problems that valued cleverness. That, that was not the most helpful thing that we ever did. The kids, frankly, there was not with the kids that we had like a particularly great connection there. Um, if I had continued to teach there, I think I would have modified that. Until you you had, a, you had the janitor every day was solving it like Matt Damon and you're like, dude, we, <laughs> we get it. Okay. <laughs> How do you like them apples? Yeah. We call that nerd sniping in the software engineering, by the way, when you get a problem that's like really just just a a, a thing on the wall that you can't avoid. Yeah. Anyway, that's a that's I tried to get thing. my work done, but there was a problem on the wall. And then that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oz, what um, was the yeah? Yeah, so I think the 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 way that I want to try and connect this back to autodidacts is in a context where a lot of really useful stuff 
is uh, in a form that that does not recognize this diversity of approaches to understanding where we do have very good textbooks when good is measured by how far it's gone down this path of say distillation into a simple form one way to approach that maybe and maybe linear algebra is a reasonable intersection between our like areas of uh, familiarity for us to talk about that would that be reasonable brandon as a, as a kind of example oh, no, not at all i have no idea no no, no. okay I, I i think linear algebra sort of sits in my head as like the scary thing that i'll never oh okay oh well, let's let's get away from i that. got an 800 on the gre quantitative so i can like deal with middle school math and anything below it really well but nothing above that nothing above high school math at all okay so well i'll find smart thing. i'll find i'll find that yeah well, I mean, we can talk about it in general. Sense. So, like, it's so let's say you, this is a topic that you're trying to understand, or some like equivalent topic, a technical topic. Uh, you know, we could also talk about operating systems or something, but maybe linear algebra is at least a bit more approachable as a concept than that. But you, we've got textbook in this area. We've got hundreds of them, uh, whether it's operating systems or linear algebra or, or, or whatever, the mammalian physiology, why not? uh you we could look at this and say hey i understand based on my appreciation of egan's framing that i would like to approach this topic in a way where uh i'm i'm compelled to continue with the process i would like to retain information from it i would like to in enhance my excitement around this and adjacent topics but the textbooks available do not do that for me they have a piece of this does that mean that I should look at this spectrum of textbooks and say, well, I want to take this one rather than that one? Like in linear algebra specifically, you could take Gilbert Strang, the MIT professor who's got a fantastic textbook, but it's dry. It's like very distilled, but you need to be in the mode of taking on something distilled. Or you could take something like Coding the Matrix, which is also a linear algebra textbook, also used in universities. But its orientation is that you are writing programs which code the matrix, which do like interesting things with graphics. And, you know, instead of like Gilbert Strang presenting with you with a um, like a, a proof about a transformation of a matrix. Sorry, we are getting into specifics here, aren't we? But, but hopefully we're following along. Uh, instead of Strang, which gives you the proof of this, coding the matrix says, I challenge you to write a program that would rotate this image uh and by doing that you so you know you got a kind of spectrum of textbooks you could choose from or could you like take strang and say i'm using strang for this type of understanding of the material and then i need to supplement that myself as an autodidact with the storytelling with the hey maybe there's a somatic understanding of linear algebra as well uh, you know, maybe maybe that you're going to bring your own ironic understanding of linear algebra and you, you need to like a la carte piece together the modes of understanding of this and just see the textbook as never being able to be the, the full way of understanding this material, but like fitting in a piece. Does my my overall like my, my challenge to you, Brandon, is like as someone who is in a world where there is good pieces, do you like do you build up a um a, a skill of identifying the things that cover more of the surface area of what's going to be good for you as a learner or do you build up a skill of like just doing your best with what's available and like filling in the gaps yourself or do we need do we need to reinvent everything and encourage people to write textbooks 
that tell stories something i mean i think that that there's a lot of money to be made in that at least potentially <laughs> so i i think that's the that we should uh, encourage me i one of the things that would make me very happy is if i was able to ever work with somebody who's trying to come up with a new type of textbook uh, and, and attempts have been made at this before, uh, some more successfully than others. Uh, Daniel Willingham's book on cognitive textbook on cognitive psychology um, is uh, is a really is a really good one for that. And he does just some very basic things, but they're very good. Um, like for example, he frames everything just in terms of simple questions and answers. So every chapter, you know, there's a theme or whatever, some piece of uh, cognitive science um, research. But then um, every subsection heading or whatever is a simple question, and then you read to find out the answer, which is just amazing. I would say that there actually, though, is a potential way of bringing those things together that did not, in a very eganized way, that did not exist. Um, a, I guess maybe it's about a year old now. And of course, I'm talking about LLMs, um, where I know that. Now, you know, when I'm like walking my daughter on a like a little mile hike or whatever, just so she falls asleep and I get some exercise. Um, one of the things I used to just listen to podcasts and I still listen to podcasts, but one of the things I also do is try to is just uh, talk to chat GPT, mm. um, which because I can just ask anything, right? Put my earbuds or whatever in and I can talk and it can give me its nice little answer there and I can go deeper and whatever in it. I've heard of people. Tyler Cowen mentioned somebody who he's reading, I don't know, Leibniz or something, somebody really Heidegger, somebody really hard. Um, and he would just have ChatGPT on so he could ask an in real time question about what is Heidegger, what might Heidegger mean when he says this? And it'll give him immediate feedback. So what I'm wondering is can one take, can, get, can one get the best of both worlds? If you take the hard text by the MIT prof and you, you know, train uh, a, a GPT bot um, to give you answers in certain eganized forms. One of the things, I mean, I use ChatGPT a lot uh, for my science research. I also employ an actual like science researcher who does a fantastic job. But my first draft now is done through ChatGPT and the limit there is oftentimes not even how accurate it is, although there are times when it is interestingly inaccurate and you know, when we've all been learning to figure out what those times are. Um, but in my ability, it, from its ability to put things in a way that my brain can understand, because of course, the way that ChatGPT's Chat natural language is horribly boring HR speak. Um, monstrous. It is an impediment sometimes to understanding. It's terminologically high. You know, like my base model for ChatGPT now is issue complex vocabulary, speak as if I were an eighth grader, <laughs> make your sentences short and punchy. I don't know if you've seen this. There's a new thing going around Twitter where if you tell it um, that you don't have hands or something, you know, it will actually, when you ask it for coding, it'll give you like, here's one example. And then it comments out the rest. If you literally say, I can't type, it says, oh, I'm so sorry for you. And it gives you the full answer. So people are like gaming it in super weird ways. Um, yeah. So uh, look into that. When, so what I have been finding is that when I have something really hard and I want, want it to explain it to me in a way that will in, intuitively make sense to me. 
I'll say, give this to me as a limerick. Huh. Or I'll say, which is just, it's weird, right? Like, in, it's goofy and it's oftentimes the limericks don't quite rhyme the way that a limerick, you, you want it in your guts to, to rhyme. Um, but it gives it to you in a punchy way that is short. And then I can go, huh. And because it was a poem, you know, other, there are other obviously poetic forms rather than, um, than limericks. Um, but, uh, but because it's in a poem, now it's sticking in my head while I'm, you know, walking around the block. And I'm kind of puzzling over what do I feel, like, how do I think about that? What do I still not understand about that? Um, another way that I can, uh, that I've done it is give this to me in a simple story, but maybe the most helpful thing for, for linear algebra. Actually, I like this because I don't really know what it is. Um, is to say, okay, like I'm learning about this thing. Here's this one, you know, algorithm. Give me, act as a excellent storyteller who uses emotional binaries and vivid mental images and uh, delightful metaphors uh, in your storytelling. Um, tell me the story. Like, where did this algorithm come from? And then why, like, what was this person trying to do? Mm with this algorithm like what is what is the actual historical function of this thing which again seems on the surface like it should just be extra information that is just going to be harder to remember except with with my experience of all the science stuff that i that i probe it for and sometimes math stuff too um it's not more information it's the information that makes the thing that i'm learning suddenly like even oftentimes conceptually click why did she use this phrase why did he use this term to denote this sort of thing what might you even guess oh dear chat gpt that she was trying to do when she said that and you know for our sake it doesn't even so much matter if these things are historically correct or not um it matters that they They're are not, yeah. emotionally viable right and you know 90 percent of the time it will be correct um and you'll you'll end up learning so oh, it it, can I say, Brandon, sorry to interrupt, but it won't. And nor will the stories that the teachers tell. And I've got a, a fantastic book for you on, on that uh, in a minute, if you'd like. But l let me say, like, this historical narrative thing, I think when, when I find teachers who are doing a reasonable job of motivating mathematical concepts, also computer science, um they are they are providing some historical context on this and this like this to me is my default position if i don't know how to motivate some material like we're learning about operating systems and it's something esoteric i i really do try and drill down into what was the history of this why did we end up here at this convoluted thing that no one's going to remember whether it's on a flashcard or not like you, you're not going to coerce yourself into remembering that it's 48 bit page tables or whatever uh it's esoteric thing um unless you know how we got there so like i try and convey that history um can i push my odds uh, can i push for that because yeah. i remember in math it's like uh integrals or something it's like measuring that we needed to do this to measure the area of a curve or what's under the curve and they probably gave me some of that and i'm like Great, that'll be useful next time I have to measure something area under a curve, which is never in my young. Oh life. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. with I, I, I feel like if I can do that with adult students who come here voluntarily because they already have motivating problems. Yeah, 
in the in the in the general area and all i need to do is connect that like bridge that to this specific technical knowledge it's like you, you had a bug you were trying to fix it you couldn't do that now you need to know more about operating systems including this virtual memory system but you know to follow me even on this journey for this one class that you're motivated to take because of your like professional interests um i still need that's that hook for that one class. yeah yeah it's like oh and, you, this is another example brandon it's like uh some data some api call on your website is looking really slow and it turns out like looking into the database and understanding you need to add an index which is a more efficient way of looking things up and then like that solves the problem and then if you present that to oz if he's like has anyone had like a slow query every person raises their hand and then oz can go in and explain how an index works and like why that matters and you're right the hook's already there because i felt the pain which i was also thinking you know with volume of water and stuff if i was in that situation in die hard two or three where the bomb's gonna blow if i don't put the water in the different jugs and everything maybe i'd care about how to calculate volume and so i don't do you, are you familiar with that scene is that a class that you took with me because i use that to teach uh what was that now I've been with you. You did teach it. Okay. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's a dynamic. You can solve it with dynamic programming. That <laughs> yeah. that die hard problem. Okay. Sorry. Sorry anyway. for the sorry for the, it's a good the, the tangent. Yeah, I just nerd sniped a few listeners as well. Do not go and watch the die hard scene where he's pouring jugs of water and then try and find a dynamic programming solution to that. Don't do that. Keep listening, please. All right, sorry. What, what I was gonna, what I was gonna say. I, say that uh, I was actually going to watch Die Hard two with my kids last week, and uh, we something came up, and we ended up watching something else. But now I am going to watch Die Hard two. No, 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 stay. Don't hang up. Don't hang up. We got. I've got more questions. Uh, yeah. So this. Okay. One thing that I was gonna say about that. I developed that habit for myself only after I started using it for teaching. Only recently, Check like in the last. No, no, no. The the finding the historical context of every problem. Uh, like I got to the age of 30 or something um, before I recognized that for myself, I need to know why something is the way that it is in order to internalize it, including very technical things, including things that are otherwise motivated. Like I'll be fired if I don't know this. I still need to be like, so there was a conference in 1976 and some people voted this way and some people voted that way and then we ended up here and that's why this language this programming language has this feature or whatever okay now I am allowed to have that in my brain um firstly how can we maybe maybe firstly firstly how specific is that to the individual like do I have is it you know just Everyone has these five modes of understanding, and we all have them in relatively, uh, in in ge in generally equal amounts. And it's like we can understand brains generally this way, uh, or is it very specific to the individual? I don't. I'm not talking about learning styles, the you know the TM discredited thing. I'm I'm talking about like, uh, can we generalize from one one person's effective learning to other people's? And secondly, either way, can we expedite that process so that I learn that I learn that about myself, not at the age of 30, but at the age of 12 or something. And my whether I'm using an LLM or I'm using my own neural net to like 
decide my own learning resources or whatever um how how I can get that for my whole learning experience in school teaching myself whatever as a teenager as an adult well I feel like you put your finger on the most important thing which is to understand why is this important um I mentioned before the three billion year evolutionary history of our species and like what do bacteria what can we even say about bacteria cognition it's that whatever information processing evolved before there were brains before there were neurons before there uh before there were specialized cells <laughs> was that those general cells these bacteria archaea sort of uh thingamajiggers um they lived in a world full of death <laughs> and they needed to they were, they were you know they replicated quickly and they were almost destined to die without replicating again um and uh and they needed to, in order to survive they needed to be able to process information at the beginning of the history of thinking is danger <laughs> is this adventure where you need yeah yeah you, you need to understand what's going on um what am I trying? Hold on. I, I feel like in my head, this was actually naturally connected to the idea of why that you've been talking about of needing to understand why. I guess, I guess, because it's, it's, it's why, not just like, why am I doing this right now, but like, why? Well, I guess you need to understand, like, okay, the answer to why I am doing something right now is always because if I don't, disaster will befall me, you know, in, in, in some way or another. Why was this invented in the first place? Well, because someone was facing something like, potential disaster and they wanted to create something in coding or in algebra that would help make everything easier help um, allow them to flourish um asking why is identifying what problem a thing was trying to solve what danger what threat there was that this thing was the solution a potential solution to seems like the least individualized aspect of minds possible it seems like it's the thing that we share with manta rays and fungus and bacteriums um to ground it in in the sense of threat and salvation um so i'd say that no i'd say probably everybody should do that okay done uh can i just like close the circle on the um the thing that i was going to say about all this being wrong uh chat gpt is allowed to be wrong because so so yeah i wanted to hear as well. yeah, yeah. yeah there's a book i just read called the cult of pythagoras i don't know if that's a tempting name for a or if you've encountered it before maybe if you're I going have. into the history it's of mostly not on the cult of pythagoras no no it's not it's not yeah, at all. yeah. yeah i'm yeah. surprised by that title yeah <laughs> yeah it's um uh, I picked it up because I was like, oh, I want to learn more about cults and, and mythology in, in mathematics. And um, there's like, there's very little on cults. There's almost nothing on Pythagoras. And um, there is a little bit on 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 myth. Uh, but what, what's interesting, I mean, what the book is good at in particular is looking at the historical record in relation to stories that are commonly told in mathematics and the history of mathematics, which are also incidentally very commonly used by people who are trying to motivate mathematics. They'll be like, here, we're going to talk about irrational numbers now. There was this guy who was part of the cult of Pythagoras who was drowned, whatever, and it's all wrong. 
uh, it's all wrong, but it's been perpetuated for this this time. And the book is good. It has, actually has a table of all of the you know the the uh, meaningful accounts of this and how they've evolved over time. It's like I remember that table, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, and so it's um, it's it's good. It's it's kind of a buzzkill for all of the fun stories that we like to tell as math teachers, I guess, uh, of, to motivate this stuff. And um, anyway, so that that's his it, objective, and he well, also explores point, some. Other. Is the point? It doesn't matter if it's true, us. That I mean, I think to him it does matter to the author. Mm. Uh, it's like the historical record doesn't justify what we say about this. Um, and I was hoping that he would explore more this idea that maybe it doesn't matter because I mean that's what I've been thinking about recently in, in the context of Egan. Like the storytelling is important. And truth is also important, like the finding of truth is also important, but maybe it's important at other times for other people or in different ways. And uh, as educators, including self-educators, maybe we should be better at like enjoying the story, knowing it's a story, uh, like seeing how this fits into the historical motivation for other people, even if the story was wrong, to be interested in this as well, or even just saying, if it's totally made up who cares if whether there was a person or not at this time at this period of time like let's just imagine that you're part of a cult and you really believe that all numbers were rational and someone showed up with this like how would that make you feel maybe that's that's a valuable thing as like you're saying brandon an emotion an, an emotionally evolved being to actually have that be part of the experience of learning something where we do progress out of that and um want to be able to to get into a mode of thinking where we don't have the emotion maybe that that might cloud us but that the but that the wrong story is actually valuable along the way i mean i think you're doing a great job of laying out the pluses and minuses uh to um uh, the false stories that are very memorable <laughs> and help us get interested and actually understand some of these things better i think that I think a lot about this uh, just from the perspective of teaching history, which is the thing that I've actually, I'm actually professionally trained to do. Um, uh, there's so much great history that's probably of dubious historical value. And what do you do with that? Like, do you tell it so then you can untell it later and it's interesting to untell it? And um, I, I, I think the sort of easiest um uh, uh compromise position on this would be to say that one story about George Washington one story about Pythagoras goes as such and then we can mm -hmm. say ah like you know maybe maybe not probably not with this one maybe with this one ah eh, you know I don't know you can you can look this up if you want most kids most people won't look it up <laughs> they don't get it they 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 want to they want to keep Santa you know they 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 want to they want to uh, keep their stories and that's fine um I will say that um I Two things, and one of them is specifically on the idea of cults, because I think I have a good idea about that's uh, cult-related um, for autodidacticism. But I wanted to recommend this book. Um, it's it's. Well, cool. I knew you were going to do that when you started talking about the history of mathematics in that in that way. But sorry, yeah, not to I interrupt always, your recommendation. I had, this, I had this in the bathroom earlier, so I'm actually glad that I take it. It's um, it's a It's a Princeton University Press, and uh, it goes through like here is how they derived these things. Um, but it vacillates between that and really great stories of some of these things. Um, and uh, he points out that. Sorry, can I first just uh, some a lot of people are listening to this and not watching. So I will say it's a new history of Greek mathematics 
Reveal Nets, would that, would that be the pronunciation yeah, uh, of the author's name? Reveal Nets, yeah. Reveal Nets. Yeah. Um, he, this, is, this, is, this is the book that Tyler Cowan last year, as after reading a few pages or something, now I'm making up stories, after reading, his, he was like, I'm one chapter in and it's clearly the best book of the year. So, yeah, last week, he actually included it as his uh in in his like official best books of the year list I'm like, oh i may have, I, I may have missed that in the best books of the year yeah as he was reading it he was like yeah i'm just a few i'd be like five words in and it's definitely the best book i've ever read it Sorry. was like 60 dollars or something and like <laughs> upon like because i was interested in the topic and like upon his recommendation of that like like bye bye yeah um one of the things that this points out is that there's that story about how pythagoras when he discovered the um the Pythagorean theorem uh, that he was so happy that he sacrificed 50 bulls to the gods and how that that was definitely meant as a joke story. Like it was never supposed to be true because the one thing that everybody knew about Pythagoras is that his cult was a bunch of vegetarians. So the idea that he'd be so happy and sacrifice 50 bulls to the gods, right? It's like, ah, I remember telling, having told story, students that story before. And then like, but then I would like also like remember every once in a while, wait a second, so he also a vegetarian this is this is really weird <laughs> um i would say but the, having to do with cults okay so one way of understanding what egan is talking about um when it comes to really academic heavy analytical disciplines is that these things usually arose as specific movements that were uh, this next part is my innovation that we're trying to mend the world. I'm thinking specifically of economics, like economics. There's a really good book in economics that I can never remember the name of um, that talks about the, the early history of economics. As a bunch of people say, I'm like, wait a second. Supply is, is it supply or is it demand that runs the world? If we could figure this out, maybe we could fix all of society and banish poverty forever. And, um, and it was from that that you get all these really technical, wonky, numeric um, sort of uh, um, uh, economic understandings. And and what am I saying? And that that's happening right now with uh, large language models or with AI more broadly. Just by the way, there are cults forming around very technical topics. Yeah, and, and like it's and like so so thank you because these things start as cults and they start like with cults that are trying to change the world. Um, and they have like their own values. They have their own in speak. They have their own all of these things. Egan's one way of putting Egan's major insight is that like human minds are not atoms. That we we go really wrong when we look at individual minds' ability to understand the world. Um, you guys uh, uh, probably know the researcher um, Joseph Henrik and his book The Secret of Our Success and the Weirdest People in the World. And his big insight from there is that why is it that people from some cultures have disproportionately invented like all of mathematics or all of philosophy or all of the certain kinds of sciences or whatever and this whole thing is like it's not that the people the individuals are so smart it's that there's something going on socio-culturally socio where these minds are finding ways of connecting together and it's not mm -hmm. like you have whole countries connecting together or anything like that it's that you have relatively small networks of people forming really tight I'm not, I'm not gonna say tight communities, tight cultures. It's just like the seniors, I think is the term. It's like genius in a scene. I feel like that's Whoa, yeah. that's a great word. Did not I didn't I, I didn't make up, I didn't make it up. I think it's uh it's cropping up in the Twitter sphere. Seniors. I, yeah, okay. So you want to make it you want to you want to find your scene. You want to find 
um, a group of weird individuals who are trying to achieve something and you want to be part of that group and not just like use their insights, but like be part of that group because that is the thing that will motivate you and you will just casually pick up on a lot of like the nascent ideas mm -hmm. and the thick under and, and the um the hard understandings um that are going on there the terminology becomes second nature to you which is you know a, 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 a neat way of saying that is you want to join a cult then you probably want to get out of the cult well this is what comp <laughs> companies want this companies want to be a cult they all wear the same logo t-shirt you hope that you know people are idly having to shatter and some in some cases it does we love Oz and I always talk about Bell Labs, Hamming's article, um, you and your research doing great work. And he's like, look, keeping the door open, that yielded some pretty good results. Um, yeah. So I just I just want to maybe we can start a cult now. Um, uh, it, but it is tough over like online to sort of figure out the cults um, to figure yeah. that out remotely. Yeah. Kind of related to that, actually. And this is just maybe another general piece of advice for for we autodidacts um to pick fights or maybe to find fights like when you join a community mm -hmm. that is really interested in a certain thing ask for what are the fights that are animating the internal fights that are animating this community not like our fights with the rest of the world that show that we're smart and the rest of the people are just, just drooling cretins but like, what are the things that people are like vociferously divided about that no one outside of this group would understand in, in any way? Um, uh, because in that, in those fights, right, you will get so much motivation mm. just naturally. Um, and uh, you'll be able to get smart fast about something. Now, that's probably hard when we're talking about something like linear algebra, probably well-trodden, no more vicious fights going on there um but for something like llms uh probably more 3d printing i don't know there's that xkcd right all communities are riven with stupid factions um uh and this this, this nested fractally uh it, it goes on it goes on forever so find all of the fights that you can find and that will gin up the motivation to uh, get good in that field but i mean is the idea that you find the fight that you care about and ignore the others no no, you just like you just engage in I mean, all the fights because you don't know what you'll care about at first, right? You, you have to pick your fights, uh, obviously. Um, but like, I'm trying to think. Like in what's a field that I know something about? I don't know in, in paleontology, right? Like it's my bona fides. I realize right now that I'm. Oh yeah. I'm supposed to wear this the gym. Supposed to wear this the gym today. Oh, sorry. Uh, for people who are, are listening to this, I happen to be wearing a Jurassic Park shirt underneath my my official teaching sweater. Um, but you know, like for a while, it was like, are dinosaurs warm blooded or cold blooded? Um, what killed the dinosaurs, which is actually kind of a live debate now. Still, I'm I'm friends with mostly some people in the asteroid camp, but I'm weirdly tempted toward the volcano camp. Um, because if it's tr insofar as it's true that we learn in communities of people, that we learn at least with other people even when those people aren't there with us when we're imagining the fights right when we're like thinking like oh this person on the internet is wrong that still motivates us to do some of our best thinking yeah um so to find the fights that are inside of dinosaurs right now um uh would be a great way of connecting your mind to a live wire of motivation
that will then also mm. power you through all of the other stuff that you need to learn if you know one is a budding young paleontologist as we all had aspired to be at some point in, in our lives oz you didn't actually say anything about dinosaurs earlier no I, has I, yeah oh not as many as you might imagine at least it's just the fossil record is not very good because of geology uh old rocks yeah geology uh we we got a handful and we really cling on to them there's there's one uh sorry this is a, a tangent i got young kids and i want them to see dinosaur bones they want to see dinosaur bones they're not happy with the chicken bones uh uh and there's one that's within driving distance of us so uh we don't have many dinosaurs we cherish them <laughs> yeah we need an app dinosaurs near me um what was i gonna say look i, I it's I feel like um, some some people may just need to hear that they have permission to learn things in different ways. And I think sadly, the like the debunked learning style framing of you learn things in different ways may have thrown people off of that. Like the, just the visual learner versus wh whatever those were um, may have been just like an unfortunate quirk of like of pedagogical research um so to hear this and say well look just think of yourself as this evolved being that may respond to a fight that may respond to a story or something and say this is okay this is it's fine like it is true that we like to do mathematics in a certain way for these reasons but you are allowed to embrace the part of yourself that gets excited about a false story or that gets excited about fighting someone who's wrong on the internet um, and that this may drive the kind of thing that created the the proof in the first place um, that other people had this drive as well, even if you know we have our reasons for focusing on what's like definitely true or whatever. Uh, we we have other aspects of our our being that enables us to to learn this stuff. I think that's a useful thing. To I, and I'm realizing now that there's been a through line. And I've been giving all of the least helpful answers. For I, I knew it. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I knew it. We had stopped recording like 40 minutes ago. Yeah. Don't worry. This, 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 this is never <laughs> going to see the light of day. Don't worry, Brennan. <laughs> this is what um, YouTube clips yeah. are for. So uh, yeah, go go ahead. Um, okay, are you ready? This is going to be a clip now. Charlie, take a note of the timestamp. Yeah. Up Brandon, here. no pressure. This is going to be a YouTube clip. You, as you have been, you have been asking a bunch of questions that touch upon the idea of individualization, and I hadn't realized that you put a really high value on that. Which, good, yes, absolutely, that makes sense. And I think every time I have been focusing on my answers on the opposite of of of, of that, which I, I'm I'm okay with the things that I've said, um, except for that one moment that we cut out because of all of the, the screaming and cursing and yeah, beating. yeah. But other than that, under that moment. I'm happy with all of it. Um, the th the thing in Egan that I, I feel like really does connect with individualized learning is to say that the core thing for learning is that it has to matter to you. And we are, each of us individually, I'm going to say the, the ridiculous way of saying this, we are our own unique snowflakes. <laughs> We are all very different from each other. And even oftentimes the small differences will make a huge, have a huge effect on what it is that we find meaningful. 
Um, and so when one has the pleasure of teaching oneself, one should always start with the, why might this matter to me? Mm -hmm. And maybe then the best thing, the best way that we can bring in LLMs to this is to say something like, is to ask it something like, okay, like, here's the thing I'm trying to learn. I'm confused about this little thing. Here's like my situation in life right now. Here are my interests. And maybe like one wants to make like a separate, you know, window for chat GPT or whatever that just, you know, you, ne you never close or put this in its, um, its long-term instructions or whatever. Um, and say like, give, guess why this thing <laughs> might matter to me, mm. given my background, given my psychology, cool. given my set of interests, the fact that I wear a Jurassic Park shirt, given my career aspirations, or like the aspirations that I have of potentially using this someday in the future. Like, tell me a story where I am, um, I am. What was what was the character's name? John from a from a, a, a Die Hard. Oh. Um, where I am Bruce Willis's character in Die Hard, and uh, I have to try to save the I have to dismantle the bomb, create a situation me, for Plaza. me where this could actually matter, um, and uh, and then you could do that, uh, and, and and that would actually re reflect uh, that would respect um, the individuality of every person, starting with the mattering and using an LLM to come up with ways that maybe it could matter to us. Maybe that's the secret sauce. Now, now I'm going to push back on that, Brandon, and and say, yeah. yeah while you are right about all that, yes, and okay. uh, the thing that that I find so interesting about Egan is that it's an earnest attempt to find what is universal, uh, and 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 and, ser and serious insofar as as he points out, the other schools of 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 pedagogy have not been honest about the richness or complexity of our ways of of growing and learning where you know the progressivists got some things right but they were wrong from the beginning uh and uh, you know the, the the platonic academy style teaching is also wrong in in these ways egan is making an earnest attempt to reconcile some things and find what to him is universal and so this idea of having and i don't think we we spelled this out for people listening but his his five uh, forms of understanding are things like somatic, the way that we just are born and understand through our bodies. And as you're saying, Brandon, in, in, context, in the context of, of literacy, having it, well, I skipped one, didn't I? Uh, that, you know, there's a mythic understanding. And look, Brandon's written a summary of this that you can look up, we'll link to. But long story short, he comes up with five modes of understanding, which he makes a, a, a reasonable argument, are, are generally universal, and we have them in different degrees and we never move beyond one. We keep we we keep even our somatic and mythic understanding as we progress through romantic and philosophic through the ironic. And maybe some of us don't even get to the final, the final ironic to to nearly an, ex, an extent as others. But I, I like that you can pick up Egan and say, hey, maybe I could understand linear algebra through dance like maybe that's a reasonable thing to even consider and maybe that may be more me than other people um and, and uh like but that's not outlandish there's not just the one true way to do this and probably most people could have some connection to linear algebra through story uh you know maybe maybe dance is too far <laughs> too far out for that particular topic but um but uh, you know maybe pythagoras to come back to pythagoras 
you know, maybe you can, when I was trying to give my kid an intuition for how to build a straight wall, obviously I'm not going to pull out the, the Pythagorean theorem, but there is a somatic understanding of straightness and right angledness that you can get like literally through standing up and feeling gravity. And, and you can, you can, you can think universally as humans, we might have a somatic, a mythic, a romantic understanding of these topics. And at least I could consider those. Okay. I'm going to bring this back to the LLM idea. Um, I like, I like your idea. I don't think LLMs currently, or maybe even ever based on how LLMs work would be able to reflect back to you and say, Brandon, based on your context that you've given me, I think here is a good way of, uh, uh of approaching this, but we could do something pretty, uh, similar, I think in effectiveness right now, which is for you, Brandon. I know you've got a lot of projects on your plate, but here's, here's one more. Could you come up with a hundred prompts for chat GPT, hundred system prompts that presents information in a different way, right? So one of, one of them is tell me a story with a character, whatever. One of them is tell me a limerick. One of them is, uh, ask me a question of this style come up with a hundred of these. So not the five cured modes of understanding, but maybe there's like 30 mythic understanding ones and 40 romantic understanding ones or something. And they're all different system prompts for chat GPT. And then I can, if I'm learning a topic, pick a handful of those. Maybe one doesn't really do it for me. It's not a good limerick, but I can move on to the next one. Uh, and like, just, just kind of dabble a little bit and get them back. If nothing else, I've got some ideas for how I might approach something where I'm getting stuck. And I'm not just given like the axiomatic proof or whatever. And I'm like, I'm not fit out. I'm not fit for learning linear algebra because this was not a good way of understanding. At least I know that there are lots of different ways of approaching. I'm going to stop. But do, do you get what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I think yeah, like no, maybe yeah. picking off a menu of ways of understanding a problem where we have a sense that across all of humanity, these hundred prompts are, could be useful for understanding any topic. And I can just I can just try a few and see what I like. I so here's what I'll point you to. I um this right here is my website. Science is weird, although people should also know about um I I teach I I teach I run a blog Substack I write a blog a Substack uh, Lost Tools uh, at Substack dot Substack dot com the Lost Tools of Learning. Um, but if you go down to workshops, it'll whoop be right there. I did one and it's currently free on the website, Unlocking ChatGPT. And I talk about actually some things uh, like this. And I think when you get it, I think um, I get the recording, blah, 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 incorporate homeschooling, fun. I think that I have on, I think you also automatically get um, a sheet that I have some prompts for. But, you know, I was doing those in the context of like, here is how to use it, not just specifically eganized ones uh, for people who had no idea how to do anything. And I, I would like, I would be interested in coming up with a list of, uh, uh, I don't know, 100, but uh, 10 or 20 um, specific things that I, many of them I use myself all the time. So, yeah, that's, I can do that. Probably I sort of someday. feel like the place, for me, the power would run out. I, I think it's like, if I encountered one of these things the first time, like, oh, this limerick really taught me this concept. That's great. But then if I try the limerick thing again, I'm sort of imagining that it's going to lose its power 
uh, which is why a hundred might be useful because I could sort of cycle yeah. through it. But huh. to me, like, the, it's like, I like accidentally learning and it's like, wow, I read this story and it taught me this thing. Isn't that great? But if I go in knowing that there's going to be this unique approach, then now it starts to feel like teaching and, oh man, that's annoying to me. So I'm just. So yeah. Charlie, here's, here's the part of the project that I'm going to nerd snipe you on. Okay. You could build a website and it's funny that you say accidental because I was actually going to suggest a roulette wheel like graphic visualization yeah. with an animation and stuff where you just like are randomly presented with a way of understanding it How about that. Yeah, I know. Maybe I that maybe that is less less stressful than this is the one true way to learn, at least for Charlie, or at least some degree of like accidental discovery of different ways of approaching a topic um it may may make it fun and then you don't have to at least not having to like copy paste the prompt of just like saying oh have you this just happens to be a way that like the state-of-the-art llm presents information if asked to do that as a joke or something or it, with a, with an accent i don't know can i ask uh, a question can i ask a question that's been on my mind for a while in this convo uh yes, brandon you then i need to go to dinner Oh yeah, yeah. I teach a um, Calvin and Hobbes and philosophy class at an hour. And I need to okay, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if this is the best one to answer, but Brandon, you you had said like oh, I don't know linear algebra. I'm wondering uh, with Egan in mind, are you of the mindset that if you had the time, Egan provides you the tools to sort of learn anything? I always think like oh man, if I had six months and I was had Liam Neeson training me on a mountaintop, I could become Batman. Do you believe with the tools of Egan, you could learn anything if you had the time to do it? I'm just trying to think of the experiences that I had in my life where I really like failed terribly. Um, I failed at languages terribly numerous times. And so that's part of where my mind goes to. I mean, I, I mm. suppose like I could also, but you know, like Liam Neeson on a mountaintop, and also, he only speaks Dutch. Well, okay, probably I'll learn Dutch. Or he'll <laughs> beat me up every morning. And yeah, yeah. I'll start to learn Dutch better. Um, you know, like, I could come up with some sort of... Context, yeah. ...example of, like, could I learn, you know, some kind of math that is so complicated that it won't be invented by AIs for another thousand years? Mm -hmm. Okay, probably not. That probably can't fit inside of my head. Yeah. But like, is there anything that I, 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 uh, I, some of the really higher level math things, you know, like I don't, it, it's not clear to me that, do you guys know John Mighton, the, the man, no. um, he's actually, he's actually in the, he plays a minor character in um, the movie, um, Good Will Hunting, actually, he's the, he's the inspirational teacher in Good Will Hunting, but also mm. like when he's not in Matt Damon movies, he is a mathematician, who runs a nonprofit uh, out of Toronto called Jump Math. And what they've done is they've reinvented the a, the K through kindergarten through eighth grade math curriculum to say, okay, all the things that we teach, like, can we just break each of these concepts into like a bunch of very small escalating problems that start with something that is easier than you know and ends up like it's yeah. something that is like way harder than you than you even need to learn um i referred to this he doesn't have a name for his method that i know of but i refer to it as the micro scaffolding method where instead of like being a ladder that one needs to like try really hard to climb up the steps like it's just like broken down into individual tiny little pieces which is something that bertrand russell and alfred north whitehead came up with in their 2014 whatever principia mathematica 
um, uh, this idea that you could decompose any really complicated thing down to like an arbitrary number of, of uh, analytical steps. Um, and um, and dang it, it works. It works really well. So I don't know, like even maybe some like the really high level, you know, Andrew Weil solving for Maslow's theorem sort of things, right? Like maybe if it was just broken down at all those steps and yeah. I had Liam Neeson to beat me up when I didn't work. I feel like mine would just end in an Escher staircase and I'd just be circling somewhere. Do you think that there's anything in your brain? Like at some level, you can just take neurons and you can connect them together, right? Every mm. neuron, like, like short of having an interest. This is my model of how mind works, how brain works. I don't really understand how a brain works. Um, but like short of having really interesting, um, trauma in your cortices, like you can connect any neuron to any other neuron, anything that when you imagine something Oz, that is like linear algebra, like really high level, like there are a certain, there are a certain pattern of neurons that are firing there, right? Like we could describe it using shapes. We could describe it using, you know, some sort of picture. If I can get that same series of neurons to fire in my brain, then I think I should be able to understand that too by definition. And it's a, it would be weird if I couldn't. But then, you know, I don't really understand how brains work. So I don't know. I, I'd assume that, yeah. I, honestly, the Egan stuff, when, when, it, when it's just a question of can I understand X, I feel like the Egan stuff is not even as, as useful for thinking about that question. Just like yeah. real cognitive psychology neurology sort of stuff is 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 the most is the most uh, powerful for cracking that nut yeah. well brandon for me yeah, yeah go ahead sorry. Oz. i was just gonna say for me the the lesson of it is not that you you cannot get to 100 like you, you're at, you're at 20 it's not that oh you can definitely do this thing and achieve the outcome you, maybe you can get to 21 or 22 in ways that you didn't imagine uh, because you you're just fixed in your your expectation of how you should learn this thing because every textbook is presented in this way your assumption is that it can only be learned in this way and uh so when you when that doesn't work for you you give up or Whereas, just go to a different staircase i i feel like i'm trying to learn this i get to 21 and then i see there's another staircase over here and that looks kind of cool too and why not do that that feels like that comes at the other thing I wanted to say before you go, which I just loved in your website with Egan too. Um, the world is fascinating and I love learning. And if nothing else, I took that away. Who cares what staircase I'm walking on? I could be walking in circles as long as I'm having a good time. That's how I feel. Yeah, yeah. It's been a real pleasure, Brandon. I want to talk to you as well about weirdness. And uh, I love the fact that your your school is science is weird. I wanted to talk to you about eclecticism in education, but maybe that's a topic for another another conversation. If you'd like to have me back on in some time, I would be delighted to to do it. If we ever do, did that, I'd be interested in send send me a like. I would be interested in taking on as like an hour long thinking enterprise exercise. A person is struggling to learn X, where X is some sort of coding sort of thing. Like, how could Egan and I don't know, other cognitive psychology stuff, like how could that be useful? I would love to spend an hour thinking about that specifically. So if you even like want to like float out to your um your 
people with who have discrete first names uh listeners Ivan. uh adam um if you want to ask adam like uh like does, does he want to like volunteer for this sort of thing yeah. i can spend an hour kind of brainstorming like a bespoke eganized self-study way of uh of, of of exploring or mastering this skill or understanding this this topic that sounds awesome very good yeah thank you so much uh looking forward to seeing the saber-toothed tigers chomping in your next video so hopefully you can figure that out it's plastered it's very very delicate very delicate not with that attitude all right thank you <laughs> have a good dinner Thanks. see ya see ya